welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Engler, and I am here. Yes, with, you are here with the experienced. Mm. The does that mean original? Old? Yes, the OG. The OG. Yes. Let's do that. We are here for the 200th episode, John Amaya. The 200th episode of all time of Why God Why. That is correct. We are not overdoing this. So, anyways, yeah. uh, no, it's great. There's lots of celebration happening across the country right now, and uh, we're just glad that people have tuned in for the 200th episode. It's finally here, everybody. It's finally here. We know you were marking your calendars, yes. anyways. Yeah. Um, and we're also here with our illustrious producer Nathan Yoder. Uh, on this 200th episode, we do have a special guest. His name is Glenn Packiam. Um, and the question that we're asking is, why does the American church not feel like Jesus? Before we throw to Glenn, uh, John, what do you think about this question? Why does the American church not feel like Jesus? Why does it not represent Jesus in the way that we think Jesus should be represented? Is that kind of the idea of our question here before us this morning? I th- we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think for a lot of us, the idea of church or the modern church, at least in a lot of places, has become kind of institutionalized, to use a better term. Uh, I think a lot of people experience it that way. The church has taken on a little bit of the culture um, when it comes to like marketing and um, just the way the church interacts with the community around itself. And so some of that is the water in which we swim in, but I see people wanting more than that. Like that'll work for a very short amount of time, but I don't think that's where people want to stay. Like that'll 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 get you just a little bit further than where you were before, but then eventually all of that just uh, fades away. So, yeah, I think that in a lot of ways that that has happened. What do you think? Well, I actually think that that segue is yeah. just a perfect way to throw it right to Glenn. Wow! Holy Look cow! I hit it that well, man. <laughs> I should stay out of this podcast more often and then just come back in. So, well, no, that was just great. So, great. Glenn, you're an author, you're a pastor. Let's come back to some of John's thoughts. But why don't you introduce yourself and share your story? Well, hey guys, good to be on to chat with you today, and congrats on 200 episodes. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it worked out that I get get uh, the distinguished privilege here of being, you know, on the two hundredth two hundredth show. But congrats, it's pretty cool. And um, yeah, I, I I'm a pastor. I serve at a church in Southern California called Rock Harbor Church. Um, I, I serve as the lead pastor here. But you know, I've I've only been in that role for about three months or so, uh, maybe four months. Um, and but and prior to that, I was at a local church in Colorado Springs called New Life Church. And I was there for 22 years. And I, over the course of those 22 years, I started out when I was 22. Um, I, you know, have been worship pastor, so I've done some music and, and records with Integrity Music back in the day. And then, you know, launched a, a, a campus out of there called New Life Downtown, where the way we do multi-congregational church is it's quite a bit of autonomy and unity that, that we're blending, holding together. So I was leading that congregation for about 10 years and also helped oversee and shepherd our other congregations and the rest of the staff at New Life. So gotten to be part of lots of different things, um, did my doctorate in theology at Durham University in the UK, part-time, long-distance uh, over the course of five years or so, and then I've had the chance to, you know, partner with some publishers and and getting some books out there. But man, that that question that you're raising is one that I'm really really passionate about. Well, let's let's dive in a little bit more. Um, 
so we live in Rochester, New York, which has the top five most patents per capita. So like data is one of our love languages. So based on kind of what John said, I, I think a lot of people who are struggling with church, they're struggling it because being so produced, they're struggling with this idea of a church in America. Why don't you, based on kind of the work that you've done with the resilient pastor, what are people feeling and thinking from a data perspective? What are three or four stats that stick out yeah. to you? Yeah, so so the, one of the more recent books I did is called The Resilient Pastor, which was written in, in partnership with Barna, and Barna is a great research organization that's been doing this for a number of decades. And, and so we got to design some questions together that went out to pastors in late 2020, and then some questions that went out to the general population in early 2021. And the great thing about Barna's work is because they've been doing it for so long, we have some tracking data. And so just a few kind of things that maybe to name, there's a decline in church attendance that's been happening over the last couple of decades or a decline in weekly church attendance. So the number of people who say they actually go weekly uh, is going down. Um, that's no secret to your listeners who attend church. Even you'd be like, man, I, my most regular committed friends who go to church go twice a month or, or maybe it's less than that. So the, the number of weekly sort of attendance has gone down and that's by every generation. So that, that's not, um, that's not unique to sort of young people. Uh, if you plot it out on a, on a curve, maybe different generations were starting at a lower percentage point, but they're all tracking or trending down. Um, and then one of the other things to to say is I, I think we have a credibility crisis, guys. I think we have a, a credibility crisis with the church. And, you know, John, you named some of the reasons the overly slick sort of institutionalized the machine sort of sense of, the, of that. Uh, maybe I don't have the data specifically on that. But I will say one of the questions we ask people is, do you consider a pastor to be a trustworthy source of wisdom? Hmm. And 4% of non-Christians said, yes, absolutely, which is remarkable that even 4% would say that. 18% mm -hmm. uh, said, yes, somewhat. But that leads us to 22% of, of non-Christians. And when you split out Christians from that, it's something like 30% uh, who said yes, absolutely, and about 41% uh, who said yes, somewhat. So even among Christians, self-identified Christians, only about 70% or so say yes, which means there's a third of Christians yeah. who look at a pastor and say, yeah, I'm not sure they're a trustworthy source of wisdom. So there's a lot of conversation that we can have about why. Uh, but I just want to start by naming that, that there is a credibility crisis. There's a corollary here about what people think the role of a church is in a local community. And I'll just I'll just give a headline and you can choose what you want to chase here. But when you ask non-Christians what they think a church's role in the community is going to, it needs to be, there's really three things. And we gave them a list, but the, the top three that rose to the top were basically provide hands-on help. Um, provide uh, counseling, a care, provide some sort of material provision. So overlapping uh, responses, but basically uh, if a church is going to be in my neighborhood, they better do something that's tangibly good for the community. Mm -hmm. So many different ways we could run with those, those things you just shared already there, Glenn. Holy cow. As I think about um, you know, just one of the things that stands out to me in my own personal experience has been what you said about pastors. Um, I, I, 
uh, am very hesitant to just tell people right off the bat when they're like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Like I, it's, it's, you know, personally I, I've experienced the, Oh, what in the world is this guy? You know, um, just from a personal kind of reflecting point, I, I was, uh, doing some work on a house i was i was staining the front deck and there was another painter in the house who was from the ukraine and and uh at a he was painting the the shutters and and we just got in this conversation and and he said well what do you do for a living and i said uh you know sheepishly like oh i'm a pastor and uh he said whoa you got some guts telling people you're a pastor. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, I think that's that's pretty common, unfortunately. And, and I understand why people say that because of how much harm has been done to people who, um, you know, have, by in the hands of people who have said, hey, I'm an, a, a religious authority and they've they've taken advantage of that. Like, is that is that where you're seeing some of that data come from? Like the fact that the people have done that. That's exactly where I go in the reflection in the book. So in, in the resilient pastor, you know, that we outline I outline eight challenges facing the pastor and the church Four for the pastor as an individual four for the church as a whole. And the data kind of sets the table a little bit. It's maybe 10% of each chapter. And then the rest of the chapter, I'm trying to chase this down either with a little bit of my own observation. I did some focus groups with pastors, you know, from the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. But I'm also really trying to turn back to the scriptures and to church history to see where we can find wisdom. And I'll tell you, John, it's exactly what you're you're um, um, saying here. I think the credibility crisis or the loss of credibility among pastors is largely a crisis of our own doing. Um, and it boils down to, you could say, it boils down to the misstewardship or the misuse of power, the misuse of our, of our influence in people's lives. And here's the unfortunate thing. Does, is that true of every pastor? Definitely not. Is that true of maybe of most pastors? Gosh, I, I don't know. Maybe, you know. maybe not. But those prominent, loud ones that g- get the headlines because of a scandal or a failure or a... You know, so I actually outlined three ways that pastors misuse power, and I'll just say them here, because um, you actually see this as a warning in First Samuel about about Israel and kings, and then you see one of them is a general warning, and then two of them you see in Saul's, uh, you know, brief kingship, and and I think that they're, they're all there in pastors today. And the first is, you know, to, Samuel warned the people of Israel. He said, if you if you have a king, you know what kings do? They take. You know, this is First Samuel eight. Uh, they 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 take they'll take your your crops, they'll take your sons, your daughters, they'll take your horses. You know, and I think I think one of the ways pastors have mishandled or misused power is we've used it for our own benefit. So we've we've kind of used these positions to kind of prop ourselves up or build our own sort of bank accounts or whatever the case might be. And again, is this true for the majority of pastors? Certainly not. There's some pastors probably chuckling saying, I wish I could find a way to, you know, you know, make a decent living off of this thing. So, so, but, but there is, there are those who have, who have found a way to leverage the ministry for their personal gains and they're taking. And then, and then secondly, what you see in Saul's life is he steps outside his lane, right? He tries to offer the sacrifice and he's not supposed to do that. Well, how do pastors do that? How do we step outside our lane? You know what, guys? I think in the last couple of years, whether it's been pastors offering their strong opinions on political policy or political decisions or strong opinions on public health policies, you know, whatever, the, pick your, your, your issue. 
um, pastors have moved outside their lane, um, maybe with cheap solutions about mental health or maybe about opinions about this or that. And that undermines our credibility because we are not trained as counselors. Most of us, we're not trained as in the nitty gritty of policy decisions. So, so anytime we step outside our lane, we're undermining our credibility. And then the, the third and final thing, you know, Saul makes this hasty vow one day in a battle and says, anyone who eats is going to be killed. And then it turns out his son, you know, eats the honey and he's like, my dad's dumb. Like we'd be fighting better if we had honey in us, you know, hello, glucose, you know, whatever. And, uh, and so Saul has to backtrack from this hasty vow. And I think I think about how many brash, bullying, um, domineering leaders. Obviously, there's stories that are more prominent than others. But in God's name, uh, pastors have acted this way and bulldozed people and been careless with people, been reckless with people under their care. So all three of those are, are just some of the reasons how we've undermined our own credibility. So I I want to shift a little bit um, because I, I think that this is helpful. It's painting a picture because I think we've focused kind of microscopically on pastors, but I think that there's a macro view of just churches. And, yeah. you know, when you and I had a pre-conversation, we landed, you know, the word American is a very important word yeah. because we live in America. So... Um, I want to kind of set the stage here. You know, we've interviewed someone from New Life. His name's Travis Hearn. He's a he's a veteran. Um, mm-hmm. We also were good mm-hmm. friends with Becky Harley, who's from there. And in yeah. Colorado, yeah. where you used to pastor there, um, of course, there's uh, different army bases and military bases there. And so there's this yeah. large yeah. question about America's relationship with the church and church's relationship yeah. with America. And you know, we yeah. throw terms out there like Christian nationalism. And sometimes, you know, when I see a tweet, um, I, I just want people to actually kind of define it. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's kind of, we, we are a church that lives, that's in America. Um, and so I, I guess one of the things that I hear is there's this perception of over politicization and just kind of this sure. relationship. And I frame all of that because, I just kind of want to hear how you're wrestling with it because you're, you know, whether it's California or Colorado, what does it look mm-hmm. like to have the church in relationship with America in a healthy way? And maybe how have we been mm. unhealthy? Well, gosh, Peter, that's just an just a nice, easy softball <laughs> question, right? I mean, that's so massive. I mean, there's so much that needs to be said. One of the things that we have to say just up front is there is no ideal church. Uh, and what I mean by that is even in the Plato sense, you know, Plato has this, had this theory of forms and ideas where you can take something in the abstract and then, and then emulate it. A church doesn't work like that. Church from the very beginning uh, is God dealing with real people in real contexts, with real cultures and stories and histories and ethnicities and conflicts and all of that. So God doesn't deal in theoreticals. God doesn't deal in abstracts. God doesn't deal in ideals. And and we're thankful that he doesn't, you know. So I don't want us to operate, uh, you know, wrestle with this question from the illusion that there's some sort of ideal version of church, whatever that is, and it's been corrupted by um, America. Um, every church in every context in the history of Christianity has had to grapple with what does it look like to live faithfully in the arriving of the kingdom of God in this cultural context. 
And in what moments does that mean that I'm going to be in agreement with my culture? And in what moments does it mean I'm going to be, uh, you know, in conflict with my culture? So this has been a, a, a question that theologians have turned their attention to over and over again. St. Augustine did this in City of God. Uh, Richard Niebuhr, uh, is it Richard or Reinhold? I get the two Niebuhr brothers mixed up, you know, with the Christ and Culture book a few decades ago. So over and over again, the point is that there's an ongoing discernment that has to take place. Okay, now we've got that. Secondly, America offers some particular gifts uh, to, to expressing Christianity and the church here, um, but it also offers some, some challenges, just, just as any context would. And I, I think one of the ways, and I'm, I say this as a first-generation immigrant, I'm originally from Malaysia, um, you know, I love, yeah, I'm an American citizen, you know, have been for 10, 12 years, whatever it is, uh, grateful, you know, all of that. Uh, and I think one of America's gifts to the world is this this fierce love of individualism and and entrepreneurship. And that's really great. Uh, and it can be one of the gifts. It's why when you're leading churches in America, boy, it doesn't take much to inspire people to go plant and try new models of doing the church compared with uh, my friends in the UK or my friends in Europe. I'm much harder to get church planting momentum off the ground or or that sort of entrepreneurial energy. So there's gifts to it. But the downsides can be uh, that we sort of imagine that we're the first ones, and so we can we can start with a we can we think we're starting with a blank slate. We're oblivious maybe about church history. We're too individualistic. We're not collectivist. And then of course that leads into the other American idol, if you will, of of consumerism and entertainment. And you know, so uh, certainly, John, you were alluding to ways that that creeps into the church. So, gosh, we're always trying to figure out. What does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus in this cultural context and yet uh, be set apart from it? Yeah, that's that's so good. I think that's that's that is the challenge of the 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 church. And what you're describing, I think, in terms of what people are longing for who wouldn't label themselves uh, Christians, who are longing for what they want the church to be about, has nothing to do with, in a lot of ways, uh, what the church, uh, the day in and day out of a lot of us, you know, in church. But they, they say they want the church to be this place of true caring, right? Could I, I think yeah, that's, yeah. if I'm yes, going to summarize yes, your yes. thoughts sure. um, yep. a little bit, you know, this, this idea of caring, what would it look like for us to engage in that in a more proactive way, like in a way that would truly resonate with the community around us? Like what are, what are some of the ways in, as you envision it? I mean, I know the, the platonic ideal, you know, right. You you describe maybe there isn't this ideal that we're after, but I think we could move forward. Mm -hmm. Like what are some of the things that you, you think we could do a better job of? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story from our church in Colorado Springs. Um, Two thousand six, pretty public moral failure of the founding senior pastor. I mean, it's all the stuff we're talking about here: loss mm-hmm. of credibility, that kind of thing. And his many of the many at many moments during his tenure, he was very vocal about political issues, and you know, vote this way on this you know ballot proposition or whatever. So there was quite a bit of. Um, cries of hypocrisy after mm-hmm. you know his scandal and, and and understandably so and when our new senior pastor came in brady boyd one of the things he he did that was really beautiful was helping our church pay attention to 
the real places of pain in the community around us. You know, mm-hmm. so you might be a church that's quote unquote well known in the national circuit, but you're not known for in your own community for caring for real people, real needs. And so we began to discover that actually one of the one of the gaps in in coverage was for uh, women and children who are fleeing situations of domestic violence and found mm-hmm. themselves in situations of homelessness. Uh, not specifically because of poverty and certainly not because of addictions of their own, but because of danger, you know. And and so, but these were, were moms and their kids in cars and parking lots, um, afraid to get official help in case they lose their kids. And so over time, New Life began to, to create something called Mary's Home, which is an apartment complex for these uh, women and children. And, and it's an amazing program. And, and so that's an example of, of saying, let's just do the long, slow, sometimes quiet work of caring for real needs rather than the bombastic sort of launch a campaign and this and that. And I have to say, engaging in the needs of the community around you is not a PR campaign. I mean, here again, mm-hmm. we, this is where we're tempted with our American, the American influence. We're such good marketers, such mm-hmm. good PR. You know, it is again, one of the gifts of, of American industry, but the way, one of the ways it can corrupt the church is you could even do this as like an attempt to restore our credibility. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, don't do any of this to restore your credibility. Do this because this is what it looks like to conform to mm-hmm. the image of Jesus. I mean, you're, the, the, the fundamental answer to your question, why, why does the church not look like Jesus? I mean, the, the, it, the, the premise behind that question is that if the church is the body of Christ, we're supposed to look like Christ. We're supposed to look like the head. And, and so we've got to live out that the Jesus who took off the robe and took up the towel and began to wash the feet of his disciples, including the betrayer and the n- denier and the doubter and all, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's the that's the Jesus we're meant to sort of emulate uh, and look like. So do it for that. Don't do it to regain credibility. You know, I want to come back to one of the points that you made <clears throat> of what people who don't attend church, what they're looking for from the church. Um, my wife's a mental health counselor. And what, what I find interesting as a pastor um, when I talk to church people who I love dearly, that's why I, you know, I feel called to this. They continually ask me, there's a good select few that ask me, what's my theological position on X issue? As if that's yeah. the question that the world is asking. If I sit yeah. down with someone at Starbucks who doesn't attend church, they're asking me things like, I feel really anxious. I feel really busy. <laughs> and and I mm-hmm. guess, how are you kind of navigating? Because I feel like, and even for our listeners, the way that we do this podcast and the questions that we're asking, some people are like, well, is, you know, why don't you do a question on like the Trinity? And I'm, I, I think the Trinity is really, really important. I just want to, you know, say that, you know, there's not four, there's three, but, you know, we won't go to modalism. But I. Wow, I, you threw the modalism out on a podcast. Yeah. Way to go. Wow. I got it. Wow. Dropping points. I got to get some theological cred. But like the issues that people that are either tangentially or like, on the fringes or not engaged in church aren't necessarily the issues that they're handling. How are you kind of dealing with that or engaging that, whether it was Rock Harbor or New Life? Because I I think that that's kind of the missing thing where it's like, holy cow, the gospel has a ton to say about anxiety. The gospel has a ton to say about depression in its right lane too. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think theological formation is extremely important for Christians. So it's it's not the thing that's going to win you credibility or, or and it's not the felt need or the longing of the community around us. You're right. They're not knocking down our doors saying, please tell me the theology of, of the Holy Spirit or whatever. They don't know how to ask that. They don't care to ask that. But they what they are going to say is, is God real? Can God be close to me? And the way we answer that come, depends on how how deeply formed our theology of the Spirit is, for mm-hmm. example. You know, so so the the theological formation is hugely important for the church. And I think I think these two things actually do do meet you guys. I, I think um, we've we've done a poor job of theological formation in the church, and so uh, we've just kind of been been regurgitating the same old messages and the same old sort of ideas and stated about the surface level here. And then as the questions from the culture around us get deeper or more complicated, we're sort of ill-equipped. It's like um, it's like trying to handle any medical problem with take some vitamin C. So, well, that's mm. great. I mean, it's kind of a baseline of health, but actually this person needs more than vitamin C. So, so I, 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 I don't think their presenting questions sound like theological ones, but they actually require theological depth to address it in a, in a proper way. For, for, I mean, just take for example. I mean, let's just name okay. another example here. Yeah. Let's just name another example here. People always want to talk about sexual ethics and, and sexuality and gender and all those kinds of things. Like, look, it, it's it's really what it's related to is not positions uh, and, and stances that we have or whatever. Really what it's related to is a theology of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, but when was the last time in church we talk about, we've talked about theology of the body, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't. We just say God loves you, God forgives your sins, and Jesus died for your sins, so you just come and believe in him. And, and and the culture around us is like, yeah, 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 sure, but what do you have to say about da 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 and, and, and we're kind of left with saying, well, God loves you, but we do kind of disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And then we're at this impasse, and it's just such a, a facile conversation it's it's an unproductive conversation because what we should be saying is man that's a great question and really there's an alternate narrative of the self mm-hmm. there's an alternate theology of the body uh, that we, we we would love to talk to you about so, wow now now I want to run down this road with you real quick because this is fascinating and uh, I I resonate with what you're talking about so so I think the church has bought into kind of this neoplatonic kind of ideal of the body like um mm-hmm. the spirit is elevated above the body yes. and we talk about yes. it in terms of that often and so we don't even have a, as a church we don't have a narrative for how to engage no. the body and being created as a body in the image of god like what does that yes. mean um how do you navigate that one in the midst of the people that you're caring for on a daily basis? Like, how have you gone about talking yeah. about that? Well, I, I think it is a bit of like the concentric circles thing. So like we yeah. just had a staff development day at Rock Harbor where a couple of the team uh, led a conversation on a theology of the self, you know, mm-hmm. to, to say, what is the Christian view of self? Is is self-constructed or is self-received, created, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from, from God? And is the self, like you, like you alluded to, is the self primarily just your spirit or your soul or is the self include a, a body, you know? And then, of course, that relates to this, the hope of physical resurrection for us. And, you know, so, so we start there with our staff. 
you have these conversations out maybe with a wider group of leaders. And then what I'm projecting is maybe a year from now, we're doing a sermon series on on the self and the body and identity and all that. So we're doing constructive work, not reactive work. Mm-hmm. And and that's the that's the the missing piece here is we haven't done this constructive work in the church. Meanwhile, these questions are coming in from the culture around us. And so we're just we're throwing little vitamin C pills at, at some deeper ailments. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the resources to actually say, you know what we need here is we need to, we need an overhaul of your whole paradigm of, of how to see life and health and the self and all that. So let me let me kind of run with that a little bit more. Um, uh, so you're a senior pastor, but, you know, you're accountable. Let's say um, in a very healthy way, you could wave a magic wand what would be the four or five like constructive things that you would want to talk about and dream about talking about or that you would encourage any pastor to talk about, you know, for the church? My goodness. Uh, (laughs) I think a theology of the kingdom. I think, I think if we can reclaim kingdom of God as a wide angle lens, we'll start to see the gospel differently. Um, you know, some of our silly fights that American evangelicalism has had of, is it evangelism or is it justice? You know, are we supposed to do compassion work? Or are we supposed to do conversion work? And it's like, uh, excuse me, a theology of the kingdom says, yeah, proclaim that sins are forgiven and feed the hungry. And, you know, like all of that's there in this sort of the kingdom mission of Jesus. So, Without going into each of these of these things, I think a, a, the, a theology of the kingdom is certainly a big part of it. I think I think there's a theology of the temple, uh, which you know we're in, in a series. We just finished a series on Ephesians, where I'm trying to help people see that the church is meant to be this new temple, and so are. It's a communal spirituality. It's a gathered spirituality where God is present with us in a particular way that's different from the way that He's present out there in the world or in creation or nature or whatever. So I, I think in the Bible, kingdom and temple are such powerful uh, images that uh, we, we got to unpack those more. And then, and then, you know, maybe a third one would be a theology of the cross. Um, I, I live very much in the charismatic tribe and some of those uh, circles tend to be very focused on um uh, uh, resurrection type of theology, if you know what I mean, like like victory, uh, overcoming, it's it's great. Um, but what about suffering? What about laments? What about the silence of God? What about the perceived absence of God? Um, so, a theology of the cross is a is a really important piece. Of that, that, that those would be the three off the top of my head: kingdom, temple, and cross. Hmm. You know, hey, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, here's a question I have for you. You probably. If you're going to write a book like this, right, you're, you're, you're probably, there's a certain amount of pain where it probably has hit you or, mm-hmm. or parts where you have felt um, overwhelmed or broken or yeah. like, wow, this is just emotionally, this is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. What would you say mm-hmm. maybe whether it's whether you would label it suffering or pain or whatever like mm-hmm. where where are some of those spots for you that as you reflect back you go this is a thing that that, that this is what causes some of those feelings to rise up in me yeah. when i when yeah. i reflect back on my experience yeah thank you for that i i i think in general um Ministry is difficult, and it's difficult for a number of reasons. I, I think one of the reasons it's difficult is um, 
the stacking expectations that kind of build on us as church leaders where, you know, it's not as if, you know, you could maybe map this out and say in one era, the pastor was supposed to be the Bible expert person. And then, no, they were supposed to be a great counselor. Then, no, 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 they're supposed to be a great entrepreneur. And then, no, 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 they're supposed to be an activist or, you know. Um, But it's not as if those expectations have subbed out. They've actually stacked up. And, and, and that's made a compounding sort of um, pressure to say, oh, I can't be all those things actually. And, and I certainly can't be any two or three of those really well, you know, probably can be one of those decently. Um, and so the, the stacking expectations makes it difficult. I think you're also signing up for a, a calling that um, you're not, you're not going to receive the same investment back from what you're making. You know, I, I think many pastors of the last couple of years, especially, felt the pain of seeing people that they had baptized, that they had, whose marriages they had maybe been instrumental in, in restoring, uh, walk away from the church because you were requiring a mask or something. You know, like it just seems like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we invested years of blood, sweat, and tears and care. Hmm. And you just, you, you walked away over this or that. And that's, that's difficult because it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel even. It doesn't feel like a two-way street. I sometimes say that ministry relationships are asymmetrical. There is that power differential, but they're also non-reciprocal where mm-hmm. you're the person they call, but they're not the person you'd call. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that, um, that pr- provides a few of those challenges. And I've experienced that. I've experienced all those, um, y- you know, because you hold power over people, um, you can end up being the villain in someone's story and you didn't mean to be, you know, mm. uh, I've been there. I've been there certainly probably on occasions where I did deserve, you know, I, I, I'm culpable and I'm, I'm sure I've been there uh, for reasons that I, I don't think I deserve uh, the place that they gave me in their story or that, that characterization, but there you go. Mm. I appreciate you humanizing um, pastors. Um, I, I want you to humanize our listeners right now you know, kind of even where your heart breaks, um, you know, you're, uh, so I think even just the, the culture we live in, um, you're very active on social media and we can talk about having a digital incarnation, like you're going where people are, but you still believe that it's important. Um, and you said this in this interview, you said this in the resilient pastor about people going to a local church on Sunday, being connected, you know, can you just kind of connect and humanize with, our listeners that they're not seeing that value and you know just whether it's empathy and sympathy but then also just as what you're finding about people engaging church engaging a community um just speak to them yeah there are all kinds of reasons that people stay away from church i mean some of them might be um you felt invisible you felt like you come and it doesn't matter if you're there or not um, others, it's because you felt used. You've been just the cog in the machine. Uh, and others, just you've actually been hurt, um, mistreated, maybe by leaders, maybe by people around you, betrayed. You, you shared something in a small group and, you know, it got turned against you. So I, I, I do want to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry for that very real pain. You know, as someone who, who works at a church as someone who has been connected with local church for over 20 years. I, um, I'm, I'm sorry for the pain that, that you've experienced that. That's a very real thing. Um, 
And it, 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 the answer is not necessarily get back on the horse, go back to that same church. It may not be. There, there are genuinely um, toxic churches and, and, and unhealthy environments and, and bad leaders. Um, so th those are genuine places to stay away from and, and that won't be helpful to you. Um, but having said that, we live in a difficult moment because um, we, we've learned some things about health and boundaries but we, we can be tempted to misapply that and create boundaries, so to speak, on anyone that challenges us or anyone mm -hmm. that pushes on us or anyone that disagrees with us. And uh, it's not an unsafe person who's trying to confront or challenge or, or correct uh, you. Um, and so there's a difference between someone who's mistreating you and someone who's inviting you to take up your cross. Those are two different things, you know. Mm -hmm. And the, the gift of a, of, a, of a local church, even in its imperfection, maybe because of its imperfection, is a local church gives you opportunities to take up your cross over and over and over again because you have to practice forgiveness. You have to practice dying to yourself. You have to practice reconciliation. You have to practice preferring someone else over yourself. I don't mm. like this music. I don't like the lighting. I don't like, you know. And... Um, I'm reminded years ago, I had the privilege of visiting Eugene Peterson in his home with he and Jan and spent a couple days in their home. And one of the questions I asked him, I said, Eugene, a lot of people resonate with your critique of institutional church, which Eugene pastored in the Presbyterian world in the Northeast there in Baltimore area. So I said, a lot of people resonate with your critique, but their response is then to kind of do, you know, backyard church or, or just buddies, buddies around a fire with you know, a bottle of bourbon and a Bible or something, you know. And he said, you know, I, I would ask them two questions. I, I would ask them, what connects you to the apostles? Like, how do we know that what you're doing is actually apostolic faith and you're not just making it up? But he said, I would also ask them, is there room for anyone that they would not have invited or chosen? Hmm. And and so, listen, you go through seasons when you've been hurt and you 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 pull everything close and you want to just be with people you can trust. I understand that. Just don't stay there. Eventually, you need to put yourself in set settings, situations where there are people there that are different than you, that you might not have invited, that you wouldn't have chosen to be at a dinner party with. Uh, and that's the local church at its best. Because again, what the local church offers us is the opportunity to take up our cross. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. I, I like the the reality of that like the fact that that is what the church offers us we have to lean into some of those really difficult things like forgiveness like reconciliation um and you you can't do that on your own you you can't you know reconcile on your own you, that has right. to be done in the context of community and yet, yeah. um, that's the example that we're given, you know, to follow. Um, and, and that's what we're asked to do. So I think yeah. that's a, a great springboard kind of to our final question, the one we always end with. You know, I am going to ask one more. Okay. He gets to call in. the shots. He gets to ask. It's a 200th episode. We can do whatever we want. Or <laughs> Pete no can do rules. whatever he wants. Yeah, well, yeah it's great. You, you There's know, no rules on 200. Well, I, I think That's one right. place that I'd like you to close before we get to the last question, um, you know, you and your wife have this book called The Intentional Year that's coming back and, or that's yeah. coming out. And, um, you know, it's interesting, you know, Glenn, you're this, you're this fascinating mix of, 
modern. And then when I talk about like, you, you talked about Plato, you talked about Augustine, these are all ancient readers. And so, you know, before we kind of jump into the Jesus question, I, I want you to kind of talk to people because you're, you're asking people to do some like really ancient practices to get them yeah. rooted. And I just think, why does the American church not feel like Jesus? I, I feel like some of the things that you're challenging us to do, whether it's theologically or in spiritual formation, help us connect the dots of why these practices, of why this intentionality is so important and why recapturing kind of the ancient, um, like it's not just Jesus and today, but there's thousands of years of conversations of how to live life that if we dismiss, so just help connect the dots for our listeners. Well, C.S. Lewis once said, the only way to judge our moment and how we're living in the moment is by comparing ourselves with the past. You, you, can't, you can't look to the future. We can't see the future. And we don't know if we're being faithful now. And so we need history to kind of be like this barometer. And that's not to say that the, the, you know, the historic church got it right. Absolutely not. There's plenty of moments in church history where they got it wrong. But even then, it's a... It's a way of situating ourselves and to say, so how are we doing with that? Are we doing okay with that? And compare, you know, so, so the, the historic church is so valuable for, for some of those reasons. But also, there's a treasury of practices here. I think about, you know, when I lived in Colorado, there are all these hiking trails. And I'm just so glad. I'm not an avid outdoorsman, but we'll do an easy hike here and there, you know. And I'm so grateful for people who've, who've blazed the trail, literally, before before we did, you know. And so in a, in a very real way, these ancient practices are the trails that have been marked out by men and women who have um, been wrestling with this and been trying to live faithfully against um, uh, pressures from the culture, a corrupted church, uh, uh, a church that was you know, convoluted with the empire. I mean, all of these things, there, there are practices that can help keep us on track. So the intentional year is a way to sort of take a time out and... Ideally, you would work through these these exercises in the book over the course of a two or three day retreat, a two day retreat really that that my wife and I have done for a dozen years or so. But even if you don't have time to do this on a retreat, and certainly this works to do this solo or with friends, you could do them in a series of weekends. And it's just a way to say how there's there's an ancient tool called the prayer of examine that helps you look back at the season you've just come out of and to say, gosh, where was God there? And how did I respond to him? And how did I fail to respond to him? And where do I need to rejoice? And where do I need to repent? And then and then phase two is beginning to listen and be open to a sense about this new season ahead. And you're orienting your life towards, okay, what is this a season of health? Is this a season of learning? Is this, you know, and then th- phase three is really a very in-depth one where you take inventory of five spheres of your life, prayer life, rest, renewal, relationships, and work, and and begin to say, gosh, are there, are there any intentional practices that I, that I have in these areas to help me? And then finally, putting that in a, a calendar, because the idea is not to create goals of I'm going to do this. It's it's this is the practice I'm going to embrace at this time, at this day, with this frequency, you know. So it, it you you are creating, I was joking with someone the other day, like we all live in ruts. We don't know if there are good ruts or not, you know. So this, the intentional year is a way of saying, time out. Let me look at these ruts. Uh, these are not good ruts. Let's create some new ones. And and uh, they become grooves, hopefully, that you kind of get in the groove and, and start heading the way that you really want to head. 
And hey, you know, who knows? Maybe over time as we do this, not just individually, but collectively as a church, maybe the American church does start to look and feel more like Jesus because we're not just proclaiming the Jesus truth and we're not just after the Jesus life, after this life, but we're actually embracing the Jesus way. Mm. Mm. If it's okay, that's a great place to... Oh, that's uh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, for John and I to have fun with this 200th episode. So, yeah. uh, so Glenn, here's the good news. We always close with what does Jesus have to say about this topic? Um, so John and I go first, and then um, between being a worship leader, a pastor, an author, a theologian, you clean up whatever mess we left. Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah. I'll try. Yeah, uh, good, good enough, good enough. Why don't you go, John? I don't know. Why don't you go? Oh. <laughs> Whoa, I, I will, I will. Great, great. Uh, you know, I, I've been thinking just a lot. Um, we love in America to talk about like the big picture issues. And I, I think as a pastor, one of the things that I struggle with is uh, I don't think it's right for the church to, to like talk about how many good things that we're doing. And the question that I wrestle with is if Browncroft didn't exist on Browncroft Boulevard in Rochester, what would be missing? Um, Obviously, I think we can be doing better, but, you know, I, I think about the countless stories not being told of, you know, we have dozens of volunteers that go into schools and they quietly serve by mentoring young students and helping them read. And and this is not like this huge difference, but, you know, it makes me think of the stories of Jesus. Of There's about 37 personal encounters that Jesus has. And... You know the gospel writers intentionally add those in there and just just this morning um my daughter and i uh, we were listening to alabaster by um wren collective and it's a song about mm-hmm. this woman in sin who breaks her alabaster mm-hmm. and you know the the verse that's connected to it is jesus said people will talk about her forever and you know i think about this question why does the american church not feel like jesus well Jesus was about individuals and he was about this quiet work and we're still talking about this woman because he forgave her. And if, if the church can kind of grab a hold of that, if we can grab a hold of this, this idea that loving your neighbor, you know, with Mm. the gospel is just super powerful. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, whether it's people that are de-churched, unchurched, even our political Mm. systems, it's all about like the big thing and that's partially to be American, whereas Jesus is saying, no, I'm one person at a time, one step at a time, and, and being mm-hmm. faithful and consistent in the small things. And then yes, you begin to yes, see what God yes. does. Um, I don't know if that making any sense, but that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. I think of um, the tensions that we live in as I reflect mm-hmm. on this question. On one hand, you know, we would if you're if you're from a churchy perspective you you might have heard the phrase that Jesus loves the church you know his church and i believe that's totally true um just like i love my kids um but i don't accept everything my kids do and just say well that's fantastic that's great uh you know good for you i also give them direction i also give them correction when needed um and love at the same time 
you know, I don't think those two things are opposed to each other. So I do believe that Jesus loves the church. At the same time, I believe that Jesus mm -hmm. wants the church to be the healthiest place possible. So when the church doesn't reflect Jesus, we need to look at ourselves and go, well, actually, we want to put ourselves in a position where we are looking more and more like Jesus, because that's our job yeah. is to reflect Jesus. And we're not going to do that perfectly. We're not going to be amazing at it all the time, but, but that's where we want to go. And, um, man, that takes the pressure off of you too. Um, yes. you know, yes. I feel like if I'm just relying on <laughs> Jesus and I, and the Holy spirit in my life, rather than relying on my own strength and my own ways of, producing, man, that's a lot better place to, to be in than if I'm trying to do this all on my own and not on my own strength. So yes. I yes. think, you know, that's where I come from with that question. <laughs> that's it, man. I mean, there is no way um, to become like Jesus without the spirit of Jesus doing this mm -hmm. work. So it is about welcoming the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, it re you know, it requires a posture of humility. I think... Um, uh, you know, book of James, you know, he gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. So if you find yourself feeling defensive, even listening to this episode of like, well, what do you mean we don't feel like Jesus? Well, hang, hang on, you know, that's, that's not the posture we want. We, we want to say, well, yeah, Lord, search, search me and know me. Uh, when you were asking, you know, what would Jesus say about this? I was thinking about literally some of his words to the seven churches in, in the book of Revelation. And, gosh, maybe each one of those would be things he would say to us, you know, and, and, but the first one that comes to mind is the, 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 the one that's the well-known one, you've forsaken your first love. And, and maybe that's us, you know, maybe we've, we've gone after growth or numbers or fame or influence or cultural power or, or whatever. And we've forsaken our first love, which is uh, Jesus himself. So if it's true that you become what you behold, then mm -hmm. if we can return to our first love and behold Jesus again, his his life, his way, his, uh, you, you know, uh, and then we can actually become like him. Um, maybe that's our hope together. What a great way to close. <clears throat> Glenn, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on social media at GPACIM on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, my website is glennpacium.com. It's Glenn with two N's, Pacium, P-A-C-K-I-A-M. And there's links to all the resources there. I mean, again, my hope is just to help in encourage us all in this effort here. Yeah. Glenn, thanks for being on our 200th episode. Um, we, uh, Why God Why, we exist to ask the questions people don't feel comfortable asking in church. You can find us at whygodwhypodcast.com. The best way to get in touch with us is to click the subscribe button. You'll get this episode and a whole bunch of others. Thank you so very much. Mm -hmm.